Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli, where everyone deserves a seat at the table. What about f***ing Colin? Why does he not have a f***ing job? Because he's still being white balls. Why is Tom not speaking out about that? He should be his biggest f***ing ally. And he hasn't said one f***ing thing. A lot of people that have come on this show, I don't know why, they've gotten some good f***ing jobs afterwards. Jim Rome in the jungle. It's right here in the sports deli, baby. We got some good ass karma right here. Let's fucking go. I love <laughs> oh, man. it. I love it. We hope you enjoy today's show, everyone. All right, let's rock and roll. Today's podcast is brought to you by my Amazon shop. Check it out at amazon.com backslash shop backslash the sports deli. And you can see all the products that I've done videos on, my idea list, and my shoppable photos. I may make a commission on any of the things that you watch or see, but it's at no extra cost to you. Enjoy today's short. Do we have to refer to him as Mr. Duncan? Like, I, I'm just wondering. Yeah. yeah, please, I'm very formal. Secretary Duncan. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> just put a sir on the end of it. Secretary <laughs> Duncan, sir. All right, let's rock and roll here, ladies and gentlemen. We're so honored to welcome on the seventh day of Pride Awareness Month and 16 days away from the 51st anniversary of Title IX, one of the most historic pioneers and trailblaze hers of women's basketball, not only on the West Coast, nationwide and worldwide, but for Asians and Asian Americans everywhere, the pride of Sacramento, California, Colleen Matsuhara. Colleen's global impact has led her into some of the most profound spaces from being the Secretariat of Basketball Competition for both the men and women at the 1984 Olympic Games in Los Angeles, California, to one of the most iconic and historic basketball movies of all time, Spike Lee's Love and Basketball, to the new docuseries, If Not For Them, because of her courage, passion for basketball, determination, and unwavering commitment to do whatever it takes to give women from all walks of life what they so richly deserve, and what her parents, and her father in particular, fought for, a seat at the table. She played three sports in college and is in one of her college's Hall of Fame, and today you will hear the rest of the story. She was born the same day as Louis Armstrong, Meghan Markle, and former president of the United States, Barack Obama. And the same year as my mom, the late Robin Williams, Marilyn Monroe, the Italian Stallion, and Oprah Winfrey. She's coached some incredible players over the years at her various stops from Notre Dame to Nebraska to UCLA to the Los Angeles Sparks of the WNBA, like Hall of Famer Lisa Leslie, to so many others. And although she's retired, she's still very proactive and doing whatever she can to educate, motivate, and inspire kids and adults alike to not only remember the correct herstory domestically and abroad, but to continue to help shatter glass ceilings and open the doors for the next generation of sheroes and rock stars. You can find her on LinkedIn. Colleen, we're so humbled and honored to have you join us today. And full transparency, when I coached against you when I was at Mesa College and you were at West LA, uh, I had no idea who you were. Uh, I remember a game specifically at your place, but um, truly on honored and humbled uh, were Everyone deserves a seat at the table, especially a two-time national champion, someone besides me who has their CBEST certification, although mine has expired, full transparency, and someone oh, born the right, and someone born the same year as my mom. So absolutely, you got a seat at my table anytime. So welcome. Thank you, Mike. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate you asking me to be on, and uh, all your background info was awesome. Uh, but the bottom line is basically I'm old. But I continue to, you know, I coached uh, basketball for 40 years, 
but my passion remains the same as you mentioned. I think um, as for my birthday, I, yeah, I always tell when people say, when's your birthday? I always say it's the same day as Barack Obama. <laughs> That's right. And I think I told you in a text, I always tell people my birthday is in August, August right. 4th. So that means I'm a Leo. Um, so my friends, my close friends that know me say I really roar like a lion. But on top of that, I was born in the year of the tiger. So double roar. And uh, absolutely. I, so, uh, like I said, I really appreciate being on. So let's uh, you pull out the chair for me. So I'm sitting at your, your table here and uh, it's an honor. Absolutely. Well, if you'd allow me to push the chair in for you, uh, then we can we can definitely get rocking and rolling here. So, you know, I've asked a lot of people this, whether it's Jay Billis from ESPN, uh, the incredible women that we've had on the show and and many others. And, and sometimes I don't start off this way, but but I'm curious, you know, and I know you've shared this before, but growing up at a time when Title IX wasn't even remotely close to a thing, and, you know, you've shared the story about when you're a little bit older, the league that you played in that your you know, dad was a part of, but I think it's important not only for representation's sake in various spaces that you represent, but just that we don't ever forget our, our history. So share with everybody, you know, what it was like being a young girl, uh, because we've said this many times on the show, girls quit way more than boys do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine back then when, as Brenda Van Langen, who's coming on in two weeks, mm -hmm. uh, talks about in, in the If Not For Them docuseries that you're a part of, uh, competition wasn't ladylike. <laughs> it wasn't a feminine thing back then, but you s certainly had a fire in your belly uh from the jump so tell everyone about what it was like being colleen growing up growing growing up in sacramento california which is my hometown my father yosh was very active in the japanese american community uh in the basketball leagues uh the church the churches in sacramento formed a league and so he was very involved coaching teams or setting up the schedules and the competition so from the third grade i started going with him to the gyms. And the first thing that I had an aha moment was when I went to the gym or had practice, it got me out of doing the dishes at home. <laughs> so I would always want to go, of course, to the gym with my father. And I that's when I first picked up a basketball. And I even remember going into the garage and dribbling to see if I could dribble with my right hand 200 times and switch over to my left hand because I was very competitive. I wanted to be the best. And uh some, my dad continued to, both of my parents actually supported me throughout whatever I wanted to do. But I remember, Mike, that um, growing up in elementary school, I think I was playing catch with a softball outside in our front yard. And at that time, it, you know, like you said, it wasn't cool to be a, a woman athlete. And I would see some kids like ride by on their bikes. I sort of would catch and hold the ball, sort of put the mitt behind my back so they wouldn't see what I was doing. We, we would toss the ball back and forth across the street. And I specifically remember that, like, I was like, well, I don't want to be think people thinking I'm an oddball that I'm throwing a softball when softball mm -hmm. wasn't real popular there. But uh, st sticking with basketball, and I figured that if you play basketball, rain, sleet or shine or fog, you could still play indoors. And my dad also played himself. He played in what we call the old men's league. That was just the informal name, but 
he played until he was in his early 60s. And it was an adult league, an adult rec league. And he would go once a week and play in it and then coach on the weekends. And then I um, got uh, the Japanese American Basketball League is very, very well known and developed, especially here on the West Coast in California. And we traveled uh, on weekends to play out of, out of town, to the Bay Area, to Los Angeles, to Central California. And it just became part of, I think it became more of a cultural thing where families and friends and players could meet on in competition, but yet stay in touch. And it was, it was really a, a, a great time for me. When I got to high school, I actually tried out for the high school team. I made the team. But I had another aha moment when my high school coach said, hey, Colleen, would you like to help me coach the team? I'm thinking, wait a minute. I don't want to be a coach. I want to play. And the competition in the JA leagues at that time was much, uh, much more competitive. Uh, the ball handling and the pressing and the running were a lot faster than what I found in high school. So uh, basically, I quit my high school team to go play in the Asian leagues. Wow, a lot of things come to mind. That's that's incredible. So just to give people perspective, okay, we're talking about the late 50s, sorry, Colleen, and early 60s. Mm -hmm. And this was a, a girls only, right? Not co-ed. Correct. But there was a parallel boys league that was going on. And a lot of times we would travel together with the, the boys team that was uh, connected to our club team, I guess. These no, I know. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I understand that. But but the, the significance of that when um, we know what was going on in the South, mm -hmm. you know, and even in the Midwest at that time. And so I, I mean, I just did you get pushback at all? Like, I mean, I just I find it fascinating in the 50s and 60s when we haven't even reached the civil rights period of time with, you know, Malcolm and uh, Malcolm and Martin Luther King and, and John F. Kennedy, you know, that this is something going on it's just mind-blowing to me so uh, there was no pushback even when you went down to LA or anything it was just sort of like this is accepted and did it uh, manifest itself to other areas of the country because people got word of it you know Mike I don't ever remember having a pushback whenever we would travel because we stayed within the Asian community right that's so amazing we always ran into you know Asian teams we never played any outside wow. non-Asian teams and uh, just wow. to go back a little further, when I researched, you know, some of this for another project, after the Japanese American return, after they were unjustly relocated out of their homes and all their property uh, at the start of World War II, mm -hmm. and my uh, parents actually um, spent time in a relocation camp in Topaz, Utah, and when the... Wow war was over and the Japanese Americans were allowed to return to the West Coast. There was 120,000 Japanese Americans on the West Coast that got unjustly, their lives were just changed drastically where they had to have like two days notice to pack up basically two suitcases and get transported to the inner remote areas thinking, you know, with the U.S. thinking there was going to be spies among them and right. sabotage. But when they came back to the Sacramento area and relocated and tried to resume what they would try to be a normal life, that's uh, when the basketball community really took off because apparently wow. they played it in the relocation camps as part of their recreation. And it just came back. They played it before the war, took a pause, came back and restarted it. And it's been booming ever since. In fact, 
just yesterday I ran into a friend and there's a group here in Sacramento uh, called the Sacramento Barons. And apparently last week they had the 50th reunion of the Sacramento Barons organization. And I heard 400 people showed up just to, you know, be around former foes or former teammates, uh, coaches. And it sounded like a grand time was had by all. Wow. Sean, let that breathe for a second. That's incredible. Um, you know, and I would, I would imagine, you know, obviously in the docuseries, if not for them, they're going to chronicle a lot of the historical components of, you know, girls and women's basketball. Right. So if you guys have a chance to check that out, uh, once it comes out, definitely do so. Cause I saw the preview and uh, obviously Colleen's in it. Brenda Van Langen is um, the executive director and she's going to be on in a couple of weeks. It's just it's truly incredible. I couldn't, I couldn't stop it. <laughs> Like I just watched it straight through and uh, it was just mind blowing to me because, you know, there's so many women that a lot of us don't know about. And on the men's side, we know the men's history Mm -hmm. and um, Elizabeth Galloway McQuitter, who's also in it, uh, one of the legends of the ball, played in the original W. Mm -hmm. She talks about this all the time, how we don't know the women's history like we do the men's history. That is true. Yes, because at at the coaches convention this past uh, end of March, beginning of April at the Final Four in Dallas, Liz uh, McQuitter Galloway gave a session, uh, her and Trish Roberts, on the history, her, sto- her story of women's basketball. And I can guarantee you there were probably the majority of the people in the room that were not aware of all this. In fact, somebody, it was a great question. Someone said, what does AIAW stand for? Mm-hmm. You know, be- because they're used to the NCAA only. So, I mean, when I heard that question, I go, wow, it really is, you know, a time for people to become knowledgeable and educated about the background of women's basketball. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about that a little later. Okay. Uh, So you go on to uh, play in the leagues. Um, Again, shout out to your parents and your dad for, um, man, just introducing you to sport and the lessons that obviously you learn through sport as a result of that, that you applied to life in so many different ways and paying it forward. And, you know, look where we are now, which we'll talk about also in a little while, but you, you, you got a love for community college early on, Mm -hmm. you know, as did I, I went to Mesa college, you know, out of high school and you you went to Sac city. Mm -hmm. And then you obviously continued on to um, Cal state Sacramento. So talk about those experiences. Did you find pushback there? Was it another great experience because California was sort of ahead of the curve, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion? That's not what we called it back then, but you you understand my point. Yeah. My career at Sacramento City, the reason why I went there is I, in high school, I used to go to summer school and everything. I had so many credits. I could have graduated high school a year early. But I wanted to be the first graduating class out of a new high school here in town at that time, John F. Kennedy. So I went in the fall semester and I graduated in January. And one of the other reasons why I graduated early, I didn't want to swim. I had first period uh, physical education and we were going to, John F. Kennedy had a swimming pool. I said, you know, I'm not going to swim and have my smell like chlorine the rest of the day or blah, blah, blah. So I graduated early and I went to uh, Sac City because it was, you know, it was just there. And I ended up really, I found, uh, 
I majored in psychology. I took a psych class and the professor was so great. He inspired me. I, I majored in psychology. Wow. And then I, I played three sports at Sac City, actually. And I loved it there. Right. Uh, made some great lifelong connections there. My coach there was just a, a great mentor for me. And then I went to Sac State and I played three sports there. And I don't ever recall having any pushback ever in both of those places. But um, I like going to school so much. I stayed in college for, gosh, probably seven years. I kept finding majors and minors. So when I went to Cal State Sacramento, I then a lot of the, my teammates were kinesiology majors. So one day I said, let me go to a class with you. And it was a motor learning. And I said to myself, hey, this is a lot like psychology. So I double majored in psychology and kinesiology at Sac State. And I had taken so many other courses that I had a minor in biology and education. So I felt like I was a professional student, but why rush and get out into the cold, cruel world? There was no professional leagues at that time. So I thought, well, I'm also, I'm having a great time here. And my parents were very supportive of education. I was very fortunate. And so I just prolonged my college graduation. Wow. Well, and then that led you into the coaching world. I don't know if it was that simple, mm-hmm. but uh, you clearly saw your dad coaching. And mm-hmm. so what type of coach was he? Was he like this tough, like, no excuse, find solutions, or was he just, hey, find your way, massaged you, was more gentle uh, and loving along the way, or somewhere in the middle? <laughs> I think he was a little both, Mike. Gotcha. Now, I yeah. have actually talked to uh, uh, one of the uh, Sacramento residents that I stayed in touch with, actually played for my father before wow. the war, and she says, she's told me this several times. She said, your dad was the best coach we ever had. He was real tough on us, but she said, when your dad said jump, we just said, how high? And she said, I remember one time, I think they went to either Seattle or San Francisco. They were down, they were losing at halftime. She said he went into the halftime room and he cussed them out and they came out and came from behind and won that game. (laughs) She says, you know, when when your dad said something and, you know, would curse like that, we knew he was mad, so we thought we better mm. we better shake out of the doldrums and turn it on. Mm. And um, wow. I think you know he would also have us. He would be very encouraging. He didn't disparage or uh, you know put down players. He coached me for uh, a while, but even at home when we'd finish dinner, we had a little hoop in the backyard. He would always tell me, "Hey, Colleen, let's go out in the ba- uh, backyard and." You know, at that time, he says, if you develop a jump jump shot, you're going to be unstoppable. But I kept thinking to myself, I think I already am unstoppable. But that was just, you know, he just, he was always after me to try and make me better. And for that, I've always been appreciative. Wow. So how far along in your career did he have a chance to watch you coach, pay it forward, and just see what his, you know, legacy uh, did for you? My dad used to always try and come to my games, first of all, when I played at Sac City and Sac State. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when I got my first coaching job at Cal State Fullerton, that was down in SoCal, and he wasn't much up for traveling, but you know, he always would want to know, did we win or keep up with our scores? I remember that uh, when I became the head coach at UC Irvine, and we did win the Big West Tournament, 
and went uh, went on to the NCAAs that year. He um, was very emotional. You know, he was uh, watching, and my mom said, "You know, Dad was so happy, he cried, and Aww. you know, he wasn't one to show his emotions a lot. So that meant a lot to me." And he continued to follow my career. Uh, when I went to the University of Texas, he and my mom also came to visit and were able to see a game. And, um, you know, so he followed me. He passed away in 85. So wow. he followed me all the time, though. Uh, mm. Anytime I'd call, call here, my mom, he would always say, did you win? Or, you know, what was the score? I mean, it wasn't just like, you know, he wanted to know the details. Well, how did the players play? Things like right. that. Wow, that's amazing. Where do you think he learned just the incredible skills that he had to coach? I mean, was it just the way he was raised and it was just easy to apply it to coaching? Because, I mean, we're talking about somebody that was born, what was he born in the 20s or 30s? And 1921. He was yeah. born in 1921. I think he just played as he was growing up and uh, he amazing. played in the, you know, the Asian leagues. My uncle played also. So I think he probably use what he learned as a player and maybe translated it as what he felt into coaching. Did you have siblings? Yes. I have two younger brothers. They both played um, one okay. of them played, they both played baseball, but oh. they weren't as persistent or dedicated as I was to, to basketball. Interesting. Wow, man. If that's not um, a call to action to everybody out there uh, in terms of mentorship, and you just don't realize how you're going to impact someone's life. And even if they don't continue to play sports in college, you know, or if it's just recreationally or high school, that's the last experience they ever play, which Jay Billis talks about all the time uh, to make it the best experience for the kids, especially the girls, because you never know if they don't ever play again, you, you want right. them to walk away feeling good about themselves and have life skills. Right. So man, shout out to, to your parents and your dad. Um, Obviously, you've had a lot of mentors. And so, you know, the NCAA hadn't been formed yet. That's one of the questions I want to ask you later. Um, and you talked about the uh, governing body earlier that was in place at the time. And you went to UCLA. So I'm just curious about UCLA because obviously John Wooden, mm -hmm. uh, the Wizard of Westwood, and just the the history of uh, that place. You know, how how was it there? Was it something that, you know, you expected or did it? blow you away or were you just grinding and you know head in the sand and just doing your thing to try and be a part of something bigger than yourself well growing up I actually was a huge huge UCLA Bruins fan with John Wooden as a coach I followed that team would, would always you know hope that they would win the title and in fact I remember I think when I was in high school I even flew down to LA once or uh went to watch a practice in polypoly wow. got up in the stands but the way i got to ucla if i if you don't mind i just want to backtrack absolutely when i was playing at sac state i would hear or see this team cal state fullerton play and one day we were at a i think a regional tournament and i saw cal state fullerton play and I, the coach at that time was billy moore right and her teams were full court pressing fast breaking they had a point guard and you know, they just were, they were blowing people, uh, you know, off the floor. And I thought this is, you know, cause it was the way that my dad loved to play, or he would always say, you know, if you press and fast break. And so I Billy started, Moore is a woman just so that everybody yeah, knows. Yeah. Coach Billy, Billy Jean Moore. Right. There you and go. So I watched her teams play and 
I used to try and work John Wooden basketball camp in the summer. So one summer I went down there and it was uh, John Wooden, Billy Moore basketball camp. And I it, talk about being in the right place at the right time. I was sitting in the some lounge at a college, I think it was Kell Lutheran, where the counselors all got assigned to work with a coach. And the camp director, you know, I went with, I drove down with a friend of mine and she took one seat and I took the seat next to her. So we're going around the room and the guy's name was Chris Smith. And he goes, Chris says, and Colin, you'll be with coach Moore. And, you know, went further around the room. And I'm thinking to myself, I think I just got assigned to Billy Moore, which is <laughs> why I went down there. I um, mean, you know, it's like, it was luck and providence all in the same time. So I spent the week being her counselor. And then after camp ended, I drove down I said to myself, I'm going to go check out Cal State Fullerton because by this time I had graduate, you know, I had graduated and was going to start student teaching in the fall at Sac State. So I went down there. I just was roaming the halls, reading all the information that was up in the, you know, at that time, bulletin boards and looking in the gym. And I run into Billy. She goes, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm thinking maybe I want to go to grad school here. If I did, can I come watch practices? She goes, wow. of course. So I, you know, looked into applying at Cal State Fullerton for grad school to get my master's in sports administration and started my student teaching in the fall at Sac State. And I was out of high school and I hated it. I mean, wow. it was, you know, doing the lesson plans and the high school level, it was just a little bit different for me. The You know, the students weren't interested or they didn't want to really be there. They were, you know, typical high school students, you know, growing into teenagers, getting their hormones going and everything. Oh, yeah. Well, out of the blue then, I was walking down the hall one day and my athletic director at that time, who was Dr. Judith Holland, mm -hmm. and she says, hey, come in here. There's a phone call. Billy Moore would like to talk to you. And so I w went into Dr. Holland's office and she's, uh, Billy said, hey, Colleen, I'm, I'm just wondering, I have an assistant coaching job that I just opened. Would you be interested in it? I said, I sure. And I said, when do I have to be there? She goes, well, you go ahead and finish student teaching and I'll wait for you. Well, the semester wasn't going to be over, Mike, until January. I said, no, I'll come now. <laughs> With that, Dr. Holland almost fell out of her chair, took the phone from me and said, oh, we have a little crisis going on here. So hung up the phone call. I said, listen, I hate student teaching. I don't want to do it. I'm wow. moving to Fullerton. So that's how I got to Fullerton. So spent three years there. And at the end of 76, 77 season, UCLA has an opening for their head coach. Billy gets the job and allows me to go with her as an assistant coach. So I'm in, I'm in like basketball heaven being in at UCLA, you know, we're the great John Wooden was the coach and just walking the campus. I mean, even when I go back there to watch practices or uh, watch games, I always come out like I come out of the parking lot. And I'll look up at Bruin Walk to see all the students coming down. It just it's just my tradition to just stay connected to the campus there and, and being a Bruin. Oh, my goodness. That is <laughs> an incredible story. And I can just picture you know, uh, you taking the phone, the old school phone with the cord yeah. attached to it, right? right? That's exactly you know, what it was. 
and either the rotary or the buttons on the phone and just mm -hmm. that 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 whole moment uh that'll be etched you know in your mind forever and the rest is history as uh, paul harvey used to say <laughs> oh my goodness oh wow um so, so mike had i not been sitting in that one chair wow in that, uh student lounge at the camp and right. got assigned to billy who knows where i'd be today right and she went on to become the first u.s olympic coach so right. Working under her, she definitely was my my biggest mentor. I don't want to jump ahead because I think it's important, uh, just like we talked about with your dad, uh, that you um, pay homage to, you know, your mentors in a way where uh, some of the things that you incorporate into your style, right? Because we all mm -hmm. steal as coaches, right? Oh, absolutely. Everything or... I know, I've stolen. Absolutely. Uh, ditto. I concur. So, but what were what were the things that I like to know more about? Like, what were you pleasantly surprised about, or what were things that were polar opposites of the way you went about things? But then maybe later you incorporated into your style because you're like, wow, I never thought about doing things that way from her, and I'm absolutely all about it now after you gave it some time to marinate. Well, the one thing I've always appreciated, and I took with me into my coaching career, that Billy was always, always a stickler about fundamentals, about just the little things about two end passes, jump stop. And she would drill that and uh, really coach that. And I just liked the way that the players like were like sponges. I mean, they, they listened to every word she said and, you know, they did not at that, you know, those times people didn't talk back or roll their eyes. I mean, what Billy right. said was word and um, things have changed, of course. And you know, I think myself as a coach, I also learned to evolve with the uh, players of today that, and you know, as well as I do, my coaching at the community college level is totally different too, yeah. especially in California. Yes, it but is. I, I think that I learned from her. It's just the little things. And Billy was not really big on videos and, wow. you know, about watching the other team mm -hmm. or even, you know, going to scout them. And she would always be, very confident in that you know if we performed and executed our game plan we would be successful it was all about the execution and the uh, fine details paying attention to details that helped our teams be successful well you can't argue that because you won a national championship while you were at ucla <laughs> nolan richardson won a national championship at arkansas and he didn't watch film either he had uh you know, 40 minutes of hell and right, right, pressed yeah. all over the place and mm -hmm. never watch film. Same concept, you know, same philosophy. Wow, that's amazing. Fascinating stuff. Um, and so you knew you wanted to do this for the rest of your life. No, no psychology professor for you <laughs> in the yeah. cards. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes you have to use a lot of psychology coaching those players, right? That's fact. Yeah. 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 So, so why did you leave UCLA? Was it just well, an opportunity or? Yes, yeah. I had a chance to um, go be the head coach at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. Go Big yeah. Red. Talk about a culture change. Yeah, culture no shock. kidding. I mean, Holy totally, moly. totally culture change. I mean, Good especially diversity-wise, it was going 180 degrees for me. And uh, it was, the I didn't know how to drive in the snow, much less... <laughs> to shovel the snow off my driveway i would be my whole body would be shaking from the cold i said what what did i do to myself every year for three years 
the first snow that fell, I would stay up. If it was at nighttime, I'd stay up and watch the snow. And I'd sit wow. there and say to myself, Colleen, what did you do to yourself? <laughs> and, but the people there were very warm and friendly. And wow. the school, you know, the facilities were awesome. Uh, you know, Billy had always told me, too, whenever you get your first head coaching or a head coaching job, be sure the school has a good football team. I was going to ask that Football question. drives the engine that funds the other sports. So how was it being at a football school? That was, that was my next question. First thing I thought about, right? Uh, a lot of history with Nebraska then and a little yes. bit after that, but not recently. Right, right. It was very interesting. Everybody seems to, uh, what they say, there's two seasons, there's football and then there's right. spring football. Right. And I remember the first football game I went to, um, I was walking downtown. I went with some people I'd met. I, uh, and I didn't have any chance really to go to the bookstore or get, you know, big red Nebraska gear. So I happened to have a windbreaker that I brought with me from California. It was powder blue, sort of like UCLA. Oh, so I put that on. I'm walking downtown. And the I was the only one, Mike, you could have spotted me two miles away. <laughs> everybody on the sidewalks walking into the stadium had on red. It was like, I thought, man, I feel like I'm among a Santa Claus convention. It was red and white. And so my first lesson there was don't wear blue on football Saturdays. And so, good Lord, um, yeah, I didn't do it again, but I also felt like it was very cold in that stadium. So I could last maybe one quarter. And then, uh, you know, I, ended up giving I, I had like two season tickets as the basketball coach and so right. these friends I made I just gave it to them and they were just like they were in heaven they wanted to pay me for them I said no you're not paying for these just go enjoy the game because I'm not wow. going I'm going to watch it at home with a heater on and uh you know because those seats were hard and cold so I said go home and be in the comfort of your couch Yes, I've been to Michigan Stadium when it's cold and being oh, from gosh, Michigan yeah. and, you know, being in the big house, uh, it's cold. Yeah, yeah. And the first time I tried to back my car out of the driveway, you know, the <laughs> snow had fallen, there's snow on my driveway. <laughs> so you're going to laugh, but this is really what I did. I got this garden hose and, you know, in California, when things are in your driveway, you get a hose and just hose it off. That's right. Oh, boy. So I started running the water and of course the snow was turning into ice. <laughs> I went and I think I ended up walking <laughs> to a bus stop, took the bus to school and I said, yeah, I couldn't get my car out of the garage. I go, well, you, you need to shovel it. I said, well, I didn't have a shovel. I said, so I got the hose and I tried to, <laughs> they were mortified. The secretary, I mean, looked at me, she goes, are you crazy? I said, well, I don't know. I never lived in snow. Back to California, lady. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, the NCAA had formed at this point. Yes. Yes. And, you know, Title IX, obviously, was in its, uh, you know, infancy stages. Right. So how is it from that perspective? You know, you're in the Midwest, not the South. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of Travis Shamockery going on still. Just mm -hmm. sign of the times, you know, with women. And being someone, you know, of uh, the Japanese community, the Asian community, how was it from that perspective? Did people push back the way they did with people of color? Well, you're talking about when I was in Lincoln? Yeah, Lincoln. I mean, you yeah. were in Notre Dame later, but, you know. Yeah, well, uh, more so in Lincoln, not that I had an outward uh, 
pushback, but I felt like when I would be like, say, shopping in Target, uh, there weren't there wasn't anybody that looked like me in the store or working there. And I felt like everyone was sort of watching what I put in my basket. Be <laughs> just me, you know, you know, groceries or just household. Right. I felt like everyone was sort of looking to see what I bought. And even sometimes going into restaurants. And by the way, there were no good Japanese restaurants with su real, real sushi there. Unbelievable. I found a Chinese restaurant, but it left much to be desired. And I, my friends took me to what they said, oh, man, this is the best Mexican restaurant in town. Wow. And after I finished eating there, I thought to myself, well, I don't want to be rude, but this can't hold a candle to the Tex-Mex or the Mexican right. food you get on the West Coast. But um, and I also, you know, part of one of the things I really enjoyed there was I actually met and coached against Marion Washington at Kansas wow. University. My first uh, league game at Nebraska was against KU and Lynette Woodard. So unbelievable. She, yeah, that was like definitely they schooled us. But wow. uh, I actually got to reunite with coach Washington this past spring at the sneak preview of if not for them right. so oh man. it was it was I mean it was so great to see Marion because she had re she had been retired I think she was living in Florida but I had not seen her in years since she retired from KU wow that's incredible and I can't wait to watch the whole thing Oh, uh, it, it's, did you see the sneak preview? Yeah, I only saw the sneak preview, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't wait to watch the whole thing too, but yeah, Brenda had the sneak preview at the final four and it was a packed theater, Mike. Oh and God. just, you could just feel in the air during mm -hmm. and even after when they had the panel and the Q&A, just the excitement and the exuberance oh. of the audience members that could really relate and understand how women's basketball has evolved and the struggles right. and just the things we saw on the screen. I mean, it was very touching. It was. Yeah. I was moved uh, a number of times. Uh, yes. I just, not just from the historical component of it and, and mm -hmm. the interviews were phenomenal, you know, cinematography. Mm -hmm. And this is just the preview, like yes. just yes. hearing these stories. And, you know, obviously if you're interested in something, it's, mm -hmm. it's going to resonate with you more. And impact you differently. Did you have uh, women of color on your team when you were coaching back then? I did. Once I got there, now backtrack just a little. The year that um, before I left UCLA, I recruited Jackie Joyner mm -hmm. at, from East St. Louis. Uh, Lincoln. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, her coach, Coach Ernest Riggins, uh, was persistent in calling Billy at UCLA. They have got I've got a player here that, you know, I'd like you to look at. She's interested in UCLA. And wow. he kept saying, you know, my whole team is good. And so, you know, when high school coaches tell you that, it's like, okay, sure. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And so she, finally she said, I think you should go out there and go watch his team play. So I went out, uh, flew into St. Louis, stayed in St. Louis, drove across the river to East St. Louis. And I tell you what, I'll never forget the first time I went in that gym in the, at that school wow that gym was packed people were all dressed up men were in uh, jackets and ties and the ladies and everyone was dressed it was a, a great event 
the girls basketball team at that time, the Lincoln Tigerettes was obviously a, a very good show. And I got there just when the JV game was ending. So I got to see the end of the JV games. I go, hey, there's some pretty good athletes on the JV team. I wonder what the varsity looks like. Then the cheerleaders came out and I'm sitting there watching them. I go, these cheerleaders are more athletic than some of the basketball players I've seen on other teams. Wow. Then the Tigerettes came out and boy, warming up. I was just like, my, my, I think my jaw was on the ground. I remember I watched the team play. They were five, their five starters all ended up going to division one schools. Wow. I went back to the hotel room uh, that night and I was so excited. I wrote up like a little report on all the players I had seen. And then we continued to pursue and recruit Jackie uh, to UCLA. So the next year I get the Nebraska job. And I remember, uh, first of all, I, I had a, a really a, just a wonderful time going to that school. They made me feel so welcome. And Coach Riggins wow. and I became friends. Mm -hmm. I got to know like the principal, but there were um, three players that were juniors when Jackie was a senior, who then were the seniors. So I recruited three of them to come play at Nebraska. Wow. And uh, so I believe they might've been the first African-Americans to play there in a long while, if not among mm -hmm. the first. Wow. And it was a culture shift for them too. Um, you know, they, they had a little bit of adjustment time as did the uh, white players on the team, just about learning about other cultures. Uh, besides just the pushback of the times, you know, mm -hmm. Um, things we know about how based on your mentorship, your dad uh, and, and, and coach Billy, like how did you change the culture? Because that's such a big thing with coaches coming in, mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to ignore the history, right? but right. you want to and take into consideration the community and the state, you know, people bleed red. Yes. You know, but you want to be who you are and authentic to who you are. And so how, how did you find that balance, you know, coming in there? I think myself and my two assistants at that time, we didn't really coach one, the white players differently from the black players. We just really were, you know, ex told them our expectations. They all, we, they all did all the, the drills. We made them go hard. And, um, I think that just sort of resonated off the court too. Now, there was an incident where I guess one of the white players and one of the black players got into it. So I had to call them in my office, say, you know, that's just not the thing to do. You know, we're a team, we need to have teamwork here. And um, they reconciled and became friends. And uh, mm -hmm. actually to this day, I actually stay in touch with one of my assistant coaches and one of my players, Deborah Powell from East St. Louis, actually became the mayor there. So, wow. you know, here I call her, I said, you know, I sort of joke with her. I said, you know, Deborah, I knew you had it in you. You had the gift of gab. You knew how to talk to everybody. And you're a, a freaking politician. And, you know, you became the mayor of East St. Louis. And so um, the other one, Crystal Coleman, went overseas and actually almost became a Dutch citizen, became very fluent in, in Dutch and uh, recently came back to the U.S., but she played over 10 years there in the Dutch Pro League. Wow, that's incredible. So you had you had a lot of stops. Any stop that you want to talk about, feel free. But I, I want to ask you about Muffet McGraw. 
And, you know, she since retired from Notre Dame, but obviously a, a national champion like you. Um, what was it like? Because that was a little earlier, you mm -hmm. know, before she had the type of influence that she still even has now, especially on social media. She's very uh, yes. active uh, on Twitter and outspoken, as she should be. Right. Uh, shout out to Coach McGraw. Um, but what, what did you learn from her and how did you see sort of her evolve and what did you take from her? Because she had to evolve, obviously, throughout the years, like, you know, everyone has had to. Otherwise, you know, uh, the time's going to pass you by, right? Definitely. And shout out uh, also to Muffet. And I, I look upon her, even though I was only at Notre Dame for a year, I look upon right. her as a mentor. Mm -hmm. And I, looking back at my career, I, I regret leaving Notre Dame after a year. The reason why I left is because Joan, well, let me just tell you a little amusing story. So Muffet contacts me and says, hey, I have an opening. Would, could you come up here and, for an interview? So I did. And at that time, I was an assistant at the University of Texas in Austin. Mm -hmm. So I go up there and, you know, we're, we're talking. And I said, hey, how's the weather here? And Muffet goes, eh, pretty mild. I said, okay. So I get there. I take the job because, you know, you always hear things about the Notre Dame and the Golden Dome. And I saw yeah. all that. And it was it's I think Notre Dame and UCLA of all the stops or schools I've ever been to, those are among the most beautiful campuses in the country. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you know, just going there saying touchdown Jesus and right. things like that. I just like, you know, I, I've got to come here and just work. And um, so when I get there, September, it was September. I remember this. There's a, a snowfall. So I remember I, <laughs> I went into the office. I told Muff, I said, hey, Muff, there's snow out there. I said, didn't you tell me the weather's mild? She just threw her head back, laughed, and she goes, we lied. <laughs> so. Um, oh, man, that's hilarious. I love yeah. it. But there was a lot of uh, similar similarities in coaching between Muffin and Billy. And that's probably why I really gravitated to both of them as my mentors. Muffet was very, very passionate about details. She would write up the practice plan and very competitive uh, in such a way that at noontime, like lunchtime, she would herself would go down and play noontime hoops. Oh. So sometimes we say, hey, where's, where's Coach McGraw? They say, oh, she's playing noontime hoops. And she hated to lose, you know, in noontime hoops. But she would like really, uh, she was into game film so she would look at videos uh, much more so than billy uh, was but again it, you know everyone has their own idiosyncrasies and their preferences about coaching methods and styles and it worked for her and look where it you know it helped propel that program to the upper echelon of women's basketball oh yeah one of the legends one of the mm -hmm. all-time greats uh, absolutely and then so you found your way back to the west coast huh yeah. I did because at that time, Joan Bonfacini was the longtime Long Beach State coach. And I, she called me up and said, hey, Colleen, you know, would you like to be uh, come back to California, be the recruiting coordinator here? Now, never, Mike, in my wildest dreams did I ever think Joan would leave Long Beach. So I went there, took the job there. And the first year I'm there, Joan gets the Arizona job. She uh, brings myself and the other assistant, Glenn McDonald, to Tucson for, you know, to look it over and, you know, wanted us to join her. And I said, you know what, Joan, 
I haven't even unpacked from Notre Dame yet. And I don't want to move again right now because in the meantime, UC Irvine had contacted me about their job. So that's how, uh, you know, I got the UC Irvine. Coach, I got to ask you, because mm-hmm. uh, you were the underdog that year mm-hmm. at Irvine um, when you won the tournament and, and got the automatic bid. Well, I mean, the storming of the core, you know, we see it every year now, and mm-hmm. it's just one of the greatest things in sports is to not mm-hmm. only watch March Madness, yes, but but the teams that not many people hear about from the West Coast bias to the small D1s and the mid-majors, like... <laughs> Like, just tell everyone what it was like to to get that bid, and just the moment the you know clock hit hit double zeros. Like, what what was that like for you and the players? Oh my goodness, I just can't even. You know, the players, of course, went bonkers. I was super excited, also. But the problem was they had sort of somebody from media grabbed me and said, "Hey, we need you to come across the court here and do an interview oh with the TV." So I went and, you know, sat down and actually, um, I think it was Marianne Stanley and Dr. Mary Alice Jeremiah were the two uh, media wow. people there that were going to interview and they went to a timeout. Meanwhile, my team is on the court, hooping it up, jumping up and down. And I look at them, I go, I'm missing all that, you know? And they looked at me like, well, you know, we're going to interview you. And so <laughs> I missed being on the court like that. And oh. so, you know, it, it was uh, because we actually beat the University of the Pacific in the finals, and we had lost twice to them in very close games. And I remember our, our point guard at that time, as the seconds ticked down to the end of the game, she just kept the ball out there at the top of the key and pounded higher, harder, right. higher, harder, till when the buzzer went off, she just slammed threw it. that ball down. And, uh, you know, that's, well, how, that's amazing. How was it getting your piece of the net? Did you cry or? No, I don't think so. No. I think I was just, just happy. And, uh, wow. you know, it was. Who'd you play in the first round that year? I think it was actually Cal State Fullerton. Wow. Yeah. And then I'm trying to think who we beat in the semis. I don't remember now who we beat in the semis. I, I don't remember. I just know we beat Pacific in the, yeah. in the finals. Wow. But then, of course, then you watch the selection show. Right. Who do we draw? Stanford. <laughs> so unbelievable. I'm going to Stanford. And, you know, I I think I've always admired Tara and her program and to go there for our first round. And uh, when we walked into practice in Maples Pavilion, they had the curtains sort of pulled because they were on the court. Mm-hmm. And I remember look, and they had uh, a player that was, I think, six, five and six, four. They were they were really a tall team that year. Mm-hmm. I remember overhearing my my players go, oh, my gosh, look how tall they are. They're like trees. I go, OK, we don't need them to be thinking about that. But I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, yikes, yikes. So um, but that was just a great experience. You know, when you get to the NCAAs, everything wretches up a notch, you know, right. in terms of not only competition, but uh, attendance and, you know, the media. Excitement. Yeah. yeah, it's just wow. something that you always hope all of your players get to experience. Did you ever think the NCAA tournament uh, for the women would be at the level that it is now? Or is that what you were hoping that? I was always hoping for that. And it's so exciting. And I mean, just to be there this past year, I go every year to the final four and the coaches mm-hmm. convention, but 
just to see the the fan engagement and just the arena. I mean, the arena is just so full of electricity when you oh. walk in there. And I always remember the, I think they seem to have the same female announcer for the games. And she'll always say, welcome to the 2023 Women's Basketball National Championship. And, you know, that always just gives me a thrill to hear that because the crowd goes nuts and you know it's just it's just a, a great it's a great event and to see that the championship game drew over nine million people this year was the highest uh most watched women's basketball game is exciting and it can only grow grow from there yeah and people that were always trying to create these false narratives with women's sports in general whether it's soccer or the world cup right. or women's basketball how you like me now um, so I want to ask you about uh, being in the WNBA in the late mm -hmm. 90s. I think it was the second year that they were uh, in existence mm -hmm. and how that experience was and why did you leave? And, you know, just what you mm -hmm. learned from from being with some of the best players that have ever played. Well, I was with the Sparks in 98 and 1998, 1999, and I I learned real quickly that coaching in the W is more, of course, a business, which I get that, you know, it's jobs to be had, jobs, jobs to lose, and then to hire some new players or sign new players. Yeah. But I, I think it's all about more about tendencies of the other team and just preparing your team to do things on the court that, you know, you can counter what the other team's going to do. And I uh, started off working for Julie Rousseau and she got replaced by Orlando Woolridge. Right. Uh, and I loved working for Orlando. He was just a great play, uh, people person to the players. I mean, just, I learned a lot from him. He would greet every wow. player, every practice, just go around and point at all of them. Good morning, Delisha. Good morning, Lisa. You know, and just make it, make it an effort to always say their name and make eye contact. And I thought that was great. And he, you know, would just sort of pare down practices as the season wore on. And, um, but, you know, it's just about what I really missed, of course, was being on campus with uh, a team that, you know, you, you would see besides in practice, you know, you'd see in going to classes, things like that. Right. In the pros, you know, you basically see your team at practices or, you know, and then they go about their day. And on the road, you know, you go have shoot around, go to the games, but, you know, they go back, we go back to the hotel and everyone's basically on their own. So I, I sort of miss the camaraderie of a college team, I think. Uh, but, hey, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no to getting back in the W. Yeah, right. Even now, that would be amazing. Well, yeah. expan expansion is coming. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, not, not only of roster sizes, but. Uh, yeah. Two more franchises. teams are probably coming, franchises, yeah. yeah. Well, they would be wise to uh, bring you on even as a consultant. I would love that. Yeah, uh, player development, you know, those mm -hmm. types of things. Do you like how the game's evolved? Uh, because obviously not every coach believes in having both feet on the floor before they make a pass. And, you know, they allow no-look passes. And the right. game, the game's evolved. Do you like the direction that it's, it's going? Because, you know, Steph Curry – for everyone who said that, you know, Michael transformed the mm -hmm. game and, you know, uh, on the men's side, probably more, but Steph has transformed the game mm -hmm. for both, both sides, as did Kobe. 
with regards to his support and his mm -hmm. mama mentality but but how do you like the game these days i mean it's i think skill wise it's there's still you know huge upside but wow i mean some of the things that women yes. are doing are just mind-blowing yes yeah. it is i mean i i like as a spectator of course i love it because it's entertaining and but still sometimes you see some of the turnovers it's like well probably because you tried to do a one hand behind the back pass and the person wasn't there ready for it <laughs> but i think you know like i said i'm a i'm a fan now or a spectator in fact every march i tell my friends i said you know every march i get march madness really bad where i am like on my couch screaming at the tv but that's when i really want to coach again and uh my friends that are at in division one college they go you don't want to get in this rat race now things have changed and you know the portal of course is a big game changer and i said you know everyone tells me that but i think i look at that as a challenge i think i would love mining the portal and just finding out about players and things free like that. agency <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah right and but i mean you know talking about um the pros i mean look at new york now i think is like the first super team so i think right. some of these other teams are soon to go that that route just like the nba teams did yeah it's uh, remarkable to watch and you look at you know the nba mm -hmm. uh and you see miami and they have what is yeah. it six undrafted players exactly so you know who knows what the formula is right uh, right right and i yeah. mean it all it could also blow up i mean look what happened in the nba at brooklyn and then phoenix right. achieved and so i think it it's just all about chemistry it and is then the and the team culture i mean they use that team that term so much now in the playoffs it's heat culture and you know that's that now has really intrigued me because you know uh, I recently heard a speaker talk about watching one of Eric Spolster's practice, and he said, you know, every every one of those Heat players from starter to twelfth man is locked in. I mean, they subscribe yep. to the, that culture, and you know that's that's hard to build, and it's even harder to maintain it. Well, Jimmy Butler had a bad rap in Philly, and they got rid of him. Yeah, you know these false doing. narratives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, that's incredible. Um, so it's so great to, you know, hear you in, in your, uh, your coaching mentorship, uh, Zoom calls, and just to know that you're still passionate about the game. And I always tell my players, you know, this is going to be my 32nd year coaching. Mm -hmm. And I do have a plan. You know, I know I'm a white, older male. I know I don't look 54. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. Um, if I had shaved. That's your time for. Right, exactly. For those of you listening and not watching. Uh, but in all seriousness, you know, I had a 13 year plan that when my daughter, I coached college ball, you know, for a long time, 24 years, uh -huh. 15 years on the men's side. And what is that? Nine years on the women's side. And this is going to mm -hmm. be my 17th year on the women's side and girls side. And, you know, it resonates with me more and I love it, but I do have a plan, uh, to coach collegiately, intercollegiately or professionally when my daughter's done with high school, because to your point earlier about, you know, what one of the coaches or several of them had said, you know, you don't want to get back into this rat race. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to be more from the life coaching perspective, you know, the player development side. And as a professional basketball skills trainer, that's what I really want to be a part of, whether they're there year one year or they're there, you know, all four or five or shit at this point, six years. Right. Um, you know, because I just feel like if they feel nowadays, which is a little bit different than when we started, 
that you care about them as people, mm-hmm. not a guarantee that retention is going to be maintained necessarily, mm-hmm. but you know, you will get more out of them if you care about them as people mm-hmm. and you can help them obviously become better basketball players. And so I don't think without a holistic, harmonious approach towards coaching nowadays that you're not going to get the most out of players. Uh, and it's just something that is going to be in high demand going forward because you just can't coach the way that the old school coaches traditionally did. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're just not going to get the most out of players without mindfulness and teaching them mm-hmm. about diet and obviously helping them on the court, you know, skill wise. But, you know, mental health is a big deal. There's just so right. many other components that I think someone like you, more you than me, but, you know, still me. Um, bring to the table, you know, uh, having coached, you know, so many decades that, yeah, we can say, well, younger coaches are relatable, but if you're sort of with a younger mentality Mm -hmm. as an older coach, I think you have the best of both worlds. Well, I think to your point, Mike, is that when you pour into a player much, uh, more so than on the court or the X's and O's, they they feel like you've invested in them personally, like you know, yeah. you understand or maybe can relate to their struggles or frustrations. Right. And I think when when they feel that, then they try to reciprocate by maybe, you know, trying harder or working harder or really wanting to pour back into, you know, into you as as their coach. Or many times just as you know at the community college level, we're also a parent parental figure for them. Absolutely. Uh, in their lives. And, um, you know, they have so many other issues like hunger, financial, uh, shelter. So it's, it, be, it, became, it becomes uh, so much more of our job than just on the court. And so yeah. I think, you know, when you can reach out and show empathy and um, just really interest in what's going on in their lives, I think it, 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 reciprocates in their effort and their dedication. Absolutely. I mean, I enjoyed my time at Mesa College mm-hmm. as a part of the California Community College System. And, and I know you did at West LA. And we did beat you, by the way. Uh, I know you so did. I just want to let everybody know that. Um, <laughs> we got lucky that game. That You had an off game. I think you were missing some players or you just, it was an early game on Saturday or something. It was just a weird, it was a weird uh, energy because I knew you had a good team. And I was like, this is going to be a tough game for us. And we just, I think we just got lucky. I certainly didn't outcoach you, No, but yeah, you know, it, but um, it's just an interesting thing. And now, even though I'm at maybe the best job I've ever had at a low income first generation high school, to your point about so many other things that are important. um, I never thought I would coach scholastically. I, uh, in the beginning was like, I'm not coaching high school basketball. I'm a college coach. And I Mm -hmm. pushed back and I'm like, man, this is, you talk about the best job I've ever, I mean, I, you know, you, you talk about pivoting and having to adjust, mm-hmm. you know, not only changing the culture, but, you know, like we, we, we work on air ball rebounds every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you worked on an air ball, air ball rebounding drill at, at the level that you've been at, they would laugh at you. Yeah. But, you know, and I told Matt Doherty, this former, you know, teammate uh-huh. of Michael Jordan and played right. in North Carolina, former head coach in Notre Dame, mm-hmm. and other, you know, in uh, North Carolina, he said, I respect it because you're adjusting to what you have to do in order to put your players in the best possible position to your point. 
So, wow, amazing. So anything else before we get to the rapid fire that, that we didn't talk about uh, that you wanted to touch on? I, I'll leave the floor for you at the end as well. Um, well, I, you know, May, last month, May was a, a conclusion of the AAPI Heritage Month. And right. I think lately, more so in the past couple of years, I've really become frustrated because the Asian coaches seem to not be looked at, interviewed, or considered even for positions that Interesting. I feel they're all deserving of. And I, I told a friend of mine who got really frustrated. He was trying to uh, get an assistant coach job at another school. And he kept hearing these things. Well, first of all, you know, you don't look like our players. But I said, look, if someone said that to me, I would say, of course, I look like your player. I'm a human being, you know. And it shouldn't matter if I'm green, pur purple, polka dotted, pink. You know, I'm I'm a human being, and I feel like I can relate to people of any color or nationality or background. And it's just uh, people just look look past us. And I said, I I feel like I want to get a T-shirt and say, invisible, uh, un underappreciated, or you know something like that. But. I'm sort of starting to get on my soapbox and say, you know, let's let's push forward. And uh, I right now I'm probably maybe trying to mentor about seven to eight assistant coaches to help them, you know, either up their game or maybe even go after some different jobs. And I know they they get frustrated when, and it's not just Asian coaches that I'm talking to, right? Um, but you know, I feel their pain and I just always try to encourage them and say, well, do it this way or try this or, you know, send an email this way or tell your head coach this. And so um, that's how I'm just trying to give back to our profession. And but I'm just hoping that somebody, you know, will get a chance to get a BCS head coach job or right. like Natalie Nakase, who's the assistant coach for the Las Vegas Aces. She's more than qualified to be her own head coach now right. whether or not she wants to be or maybe had a chance i don't know that but i do know and i feel that she was very instrumental in helping the aces win the wnba championship last year yeah and you know it's it's a great point about uh allies and shattering glass ceilings mm -hmm. uh, and there's just always going to be some form of misogyny sexual mm -hmm. discrimination right you know um racial bias it's it just unfortunately the way it is um and maybe you know when we hit the 100th anniversary of title nine we'll mm -hmm. see things maybe a little bit different but yeah um we all need to be allies and mm -hmm. you know i think people uh, of influence who leverage their platforms to uh advocate for people in these spaces that are even more marginalized than others, mm -hmm. it's it should never be overlooked because it's still continuing today, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even though people want us to sweep it, you know, under the rug. Uh, so okay, let's get to the this or that, and I'll leave the floor for you. Wow, what an amazing conversation. Uh, so favorite mascot: the Bruin, Cornhusker, Anteaters, the Fighting Irish, or Stingers Up for <laughs> Herky the Hornet. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Sac State, let's go. UCLA Bruin, go Bruins. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh man, that's amazing. Um, I did invite Coach Close today, uh, but she was busy. So just wanted to let you know oh, that. Okay. And Elizabeth was supposed to come on too, but she got busy as well. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, so wait, best food was where at, one, at which stop? The best food was probably at UCLA because there's a lot of Japanese restaurants there. You know, I love sushi and, uh, you know, you could find any type of sushi in L.A. Well, that's the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. UCLA is going to win out on every question. So no, thanks for joining us. <laughs> not necessarily. Okay. So your favorite professional athlete of any sport of all time? Of all time. Wow. That's a hard one. I can't name just one. Okay, name three. Okay, Tim Duncan. I like wow. it because he's always humble and what, what he appears to be. Steph Curry. Wow. And Jackie Joyner-Kersey. Actually, Jackie goes to number one because in all the years since she has been a worldwide famous athlete, she has never changed. She's just the same Jackie, uh, humble, multi-sport nice. athlete. Yes. And I mean, just, she walks in a room, her smile just lights it up and you just, you just feel so happy being around her. I mean, she was groundbreaking too, along with the other Jackie, Jackie Robinson. Yeah. But Jackie has never forgotten her roots either. She has her Jackie, um, um, Jackie Joyner Kersey, uh, center and school in East St. Louis. So, Amazing. Uh, I have to give her credit for that. And plus, like I said, she's just a great person. Mm, flowers. Definitely to her. Um, if you could be anyone for one day, who would it be? I would like to be Tina Turner. Of course. Now, for those of you that don't know this, which most of you don't, uh, we got a tutorial uh, <laughs> in the most recent coaching session on tina turner and uh i didn't know a lot of the stuff that you shared with us so man shout out to tina turner what a legend mm -hmm. uh did you have a favorite tv show growing up i used to <laughs> on saturdays i love the cartoons mighty mouse <laughs> that's way way back okay but uh, my other favorite show was desperate housewives oh my god wow <laughs> man that's full transparency ladies and gentlemen unbelievable do you have a favorite movie of course love and basketball of course right that you were a big part of wow how was that experience did, did you did you have like close interaction with spike lee like oh my god no actually spike lee i think he signed on as the producer it was gina prince bifwood the director who okay. you know the most recent acclaim is the woman king Mm -hmm. And Gina actually in the industry has really expanded uh, diversity and inclusion in her hiring and the cast and the background people are the people behind the camera. So right. shout out to Gina. And wow. also, I mean, hate to be uh, repeating this, but Gina is a Bruin. And uh, see, I told you we should have just ended the show. No, no, no. Her son is on the baseball team, but Gina is <laughs> a, a, a great person, but she, um, she just is really all about uh, diversity and inclusion. So shout out to her. Yeah, I read something the other day where the University of Michigan has over nearly 150 people in place for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And whether you're talking about that or Judy Sweet, who's been on the show uh -huh. numerous times, first female president in the history of the NCAA, or the Bill Russell rule, mm -hmm. all these things that uh, are in place in order to bridge the gap and be vessels uh, to uh, have one narrative eventually instead of two right, or right, more right. than two. Yeah. So uh, what comes to mind when you hear these people's names? Nelson Mandela. 
dignified um, an icon? Colin Kaepernick. I think he was, he stirred people in one way or another. Oprah. Oprah. She's on my bucket list. I would love to meet Oprah. I love Oprah. Yeah, she's incredible. President Obama. Well, we share the same birthday, Barack and I, so I would one day like to meet both he and Michelle Obama. Can't tell you how often I hear that. Everybody yeah. wants to meet not just him, but, but Michelle. Michelle and Oprah would be on my bucket list. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, they'd be on a lot of people's bucket list. Yes, I'm Lisa, sure they're on everyone's bucket list. Yeah. Well, shit. <clears throat> Lisa Leslie. Lisa Leslie is uh, another icon for our sport. She has become uh, known in other avenues besides on the court. She coaches, I think, on that three-on-three -three league. And mm -hmm. uh, I've seen her on a couple different commercials. So she always, though, was poised. Amazing. Uh, George Floyd. George Floyd is an unfortunate symbol of where... America is today in terms of unjust uh, injustices. Yeah, I remember watching Rodney King. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this was just a whole nother level. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think, and the thing that people don't know about George Floyd is that he was getting his life together. He was turning mm -hmm. it around and, and, you know, people on the other side want to always point out, you know, the fact that, you know, he had some bad moments, but, you know, he was really, truly committed to turning his life around. So shout mm -hmm. out to George Floyd and uh, his brother, Phil, and his sister and, and the mm -hmm. entire family. Um, well, well, getting yeah. back to, uh, excuse me, uh, um, talking about the Rodney King incident, mm -hmm. after that unfortunate incident, you know, grew the Watt Summer Games in Los Angeles. Wow. So that, you remember the Watt Summer Games? I don't. Well, Okay. Check it out, Mike, because the Watt Summer Games became like a summer competition in all sports that tried to be a unifying for all the communities there. Wow. I had no idea. Uh -huh. And so it's not, it's disbanded. It's not a thing. I don't think they do it anymore, but it was the Watts Summer wow. Games. Yeah. Huh. Incredible. Uh, <laughs> Donald Trump. Censor my remark. Kamala Harris. She represents uh, not only. California, but Oakland, Oaktown, and hopefully she will continue her political career. Where do you see yourself in five years? Where do I see myself? Yeah. Uh, winning the lottery. <laughs> I'm still mad I did not win that Man. billion dollar lottery because yeah. every day I think of what I could be buying now. Wow. You ain't kidding. Well, and, and, and hopefully working in the WNBA in some capacity. Yes. And then last question. So mm -hmm. if you could have any five people at your dinner table, past or present, dead or alive, but you've never met them before. Obviously, we've, uh, we've just heard three of them. Mm -hmm. uh, but anybody else? And, and two more besides them? Dead or alive, who I would have at my dinner table? Yeah, or breakfast oh. table. Okay, you're talking besides Michelle Obama, Oprah Winfrey, and Tina Turner? Yeah, well, and then Barack, so that'd be four. But if you want to have five different ones or one more besides those four, uh, or if you want to do five other ones, it's up to you. Ooh, that's a hard one. Mm. 
Just one other person. And everybody always tells me I should ask that question in the beginning so you have time to think about it. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, dead or alive, past or present. John Wooden. Wow, you never met John Wooden? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I used to work as camps. Right. So you knew him, sort of. So it has to be somebody you haven't met. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I mean, I okay. could ask the question at people that you've met because that would be interesting too, right? I haven't you've met some met. incredible people. Wait, who would you have at your table of people that you've met? Jackie Joyner. Yeah. Muffet McGraw. Knew it. Billy Moore. Uh, wow. That I've met. I have to think about the other two. Wow, that's a, those are hard questions, Mike. Hmm. Uh, you stumped me there. No, those are great answers. Well, anything else uh, fascinating? Hey, I'd invite you, Mike. Hey, you, someone else, uh, somebody else invited me, uh, Barbara Majeski from the Today Show. And then mm -hmm. she, she threw me out of the table. She kicked me out because <laughs> she thought about Charles Barkley. And she's like, you know what? Sorry, but I got to have Charles at my table. <laughs> so I have yet to be at anyone's table. Plus, we've met before. Well, it could be at the table that, you know. Well, I, I would invite end. I would invite Charles Barkley to uh, my table of people I haven't met. I think he's hilarious. I enjoy listening to him. He is hilarious. Wow, it'll be a sad day when yeah. you know inside the NBA TNT on TNT is broken up. Oh yeah, they they are so entertaining. So entertaining. So who wait? Who do you think is going to win both the NBA and WNBA titles this year? Last question. The WNBA title, I think the I think the Aces are in a good position to repeat. Uh, if not them, then I would have to say the Liberty. Wow. And for the NBA, uh, I think Denver's going to win, but I want the Heat to win. So do I agree. Because they, uh, just because of who they are as a team, like you said, they Absolutely. had undrafted choices. They're Tyler Hero and uh, Victor wow. Oladipo. They lost those two players. So, you know, they have cobbled together a mentality and a culture that is really enjoyable to watch. It really is. Coach Bolstro, shout out to him. I mean, yeah, all time greats already uh, started as a video coordinator. Right. You know, and Duncan Robinson started a D3 school. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. What D3 school was it? It was in Massachusetts. I can't remember if it was uh, okay. Amherst or Williams. I can't remember which one. Oh, wow. But yeah. And then he went to Michigan. I know not, not many people know that, like just an incredible uh, story. Hey, Gabe Vincent is from Modesto, and he comes back to the Sacramento area to train with a, a guy every year. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. He Amazing. He played for the Stockton Kings for a while. He oh, went to St. Mary's in Stockton, I think. Interesting. He transferred there. Yeah, well, the transfer portal and NIL has definitely changed the game at the college level. But anything else, uh, man, fascinating. I appreciate your time. It's been amazing. And uh Hopefully we'll cross paths again. Maybe we'll be on opposing sides of the <laughs> WNBA sideline one day. That would that would right. be amazing. But like you, I think I would prefer the college level to be, whether it's a chief of staff or a consultant in some way. Uh, that's my dream is to finish my career at the highest level because I think I have a lot to offer. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, hopefully I can leverage what I've been doing for these 13 years uh, to you know offer some sort of support for a program to make them better in some way and i just want to be a part of something bigger than myself and like you've had i've never really had a, a true like brilliant mentor 
and that's just a dream of mine to you know be around someone who's a brilliant mind and not no knock against anyone I've ever been around but uh, I just can't imagine what that must be like just to walk in every day you know being around someone who just man not only lights up a room but just is a brilliant mind mm -hmm. you know on on every level of what it takes to be a successful you know and like you said in one of your quotes you love being in leadership positions because of the responsibility that goes along with that and how many lives you can impact. Well, Mike, I want to congratulate you on what you've been doing on your podcast and just keep doing what you're doing and uh, standing up for and trying to help people advance their causes. I think that's awesome. And uh, I look forward to seeing you on our future Growth Mindset Coaches Zoom. Absolutely. Well, and again, it can't be stated enough about um, what you've meant to the game, uh, the women's game, uh, and the various communities. And, uh, you know, the chapters are not done yet, but, um, you know, you, you've impacted so many lives. And I just think, you know, I, like I said, full transparency, when, when I met you on the sidelines for the first time, <laughs> I, you know, I pro probably did the women's game a disservice for not really understanding the history, not only of California community colleges and women's coaches in that space, but just the women's game in general. And I, and I'm so grateful for this podcast because I have the opportunity to amplify voices like yours and stories like yours. And, you know, if not for them. So until next time, everybody, much love. Uh, Kali Matsuhara. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today in the sports daily. You're welcome back anytime. Um, you have a open seat at this table, uh, anytime open invitation. So thanks. Thank you. I appreciate us. the opportunity. Best of luck. All right. Talk soon. Okay. All right. Much love, Bye -bye. everybody. Appreciate uh -huh. you. Peace. Hey, everyone. Thanks for sticking around, and I hope you enjoy today's outtakes. Morning. Hey, Colleen. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. You got the video working today, or what's going on over there? So, <laughs> let me see. Hold on. We're having technical difficulties, ladies and gentlemen. How about now? Perfect. Things are looking good there. Sacramento. That's what I'm talking about. Man, that's amazing. How's mom? Uh, mom, she had a great day yesterday. She played bingo at her facility. Ooh. Came in second by $1. <laughs> bingo is so underrated. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Actually, I sort of like it. How are you? Oh, man, I'm great. Everything's uh, good. And made my bed this morning, which is one of the things I started doing when the pandemic started to make sure that I hold myself accountable. And I think uh, I just heard a... A military guy that gave a commencement and his advice, first thing he said was, be sure you make your bed because mm. if anything else goes wrong all day, you did something right and you come home and it's Ooh. ready for you. It's ready. I and thought, man, that's really clever. I don't just make my bed. I make it with hospital folds. I got, you know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't well, take me a minute. What about the military corner? Hey, I know how to tuck like in the corners the way <laughs> that they did in the, in the old days. Come on now. Yeah, yeah, I know I don't I don't look that old, but you know what I'm saying. But hey, you're well preserved. Well, I got to give uh, you know my family credit for that one. But uh, all right, I'm gonna do a I'm gonna do an intro, and then we're gonna chop it up. I'm very excited and oh, honored. Okay, wait a minute. I want to tell you a prop yeah. for your uh, your gear you got on. If not for them, that's great. Yeah. Had I known you were gonna wear that, I would have worn my sweatshirt because I'm actually representing. The 916. That's what I'm talking about. 
That's hey, Danielle Bibion Skills Academy. That's I love that. 916. It's the opposite yeah. of it's the opposite of our area code here, 619. So yeah, yeah. But she has been a player development. She's actually now assistant coach with the Sparks. I have to call her. I want to find out what the hell happened last night. They were up 17 to four first quarter. Yeah. You know how that goes. It's not how you yeah. start. It's how you finish. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Thanks again for joining us today, everyone. Feel free to send me an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com. Also check out my link tree. It's backslash Mike Hootner. Also like to thank a few people. 40 Tons Brand is a socially conscious cannabis brand, and they're doing amazing things. Check them out. We'd also like to thank Moolah Kicks, the first ever female brand basketball shoe in the history of the world. We'd also like to encourage you, if you're having a hard day, and if you're feeling like you just don't want to live anymore, all you have to do is dial 988 from any phone, and there will be someone there 24-7-365. So don't feel like you have to fight this battle alone. Don't forget to do your self-breast and self-testicular exams every month. It's really important as early detection is the key. Remember, Black Lives Matter. Reach out to your local and state politicians for any individual or group that you feel are being marginalized. Stop the bullying. Stop the Asian hate. Let's end gun violence with common sense laws. Let's be allies for the LGBTQIA plus community. And I challenge those of you in the white space to be anti-racist, to be bridges and vessels, to help bridge the gaps between black and white America. And remember, until next time, it takes a village, everyone. Much love.